What are your thoughts on Adventures in Odyssey? Tell me everything you know about Adventures in Odyssey. I know that Wit is the main character. He's not the main character. He's like the grandpa character. You've already surpassed me in your knowledge. I was talking with one guy, uh, having lunch with him, and Mm -hmm. he actually knew someone who could recite the Odyssey from memory in the original language. Okay. That is... Uh, that went from, like, someone who was bored to someone who is extremely lonely to someone who is... <laughs> someone who is determined not to have friends. <laughs> no. or... All the way to someone who is possibly the most interesting person I've ever heard of. Yeah, also known as a Greek professor. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, the Greek... the Greek Being a Greek professor, you can only be one of those four people. Those, those are the, your only yeah, options. Just about. Just about. <laughs> oh, man. That whole conversation led me to wonder, you know, how exactly do we know what that sounded like? <gasps> That's a question I've always had. Is this reconceived with Ben and Joel? This is reconceived with Ben and Joel. Yes! Are we going to talk about dead languages? We are going to talk about dead languages. All right, so here's the question that I started out with. Mm-hmm. I was jumping to this, chomping at the bit to understand things. Yes. How did we know what they sounded like? I, I have always wondered that. Because, like, maybe I'm right and you, the Latin teacher in my computer, you are wrong. Exactly. So, like, part of it is I can sort of get how you would be able to decipher the meanings of mm. things especially if you have them in relation to another language. It's like the Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. We have all these, we have the same concepts, the same paragraph, essentially, yeah. expressed in different languages. And so we can know that word means river. That word means house. That yeah. word means through. That's but really helpful. How do we know how they pronounced it? Mm-hmm. You could, I mean, I assumed that you could sort of get this intrinsic understanding of what a language meant without having the faintest idea what it sounded like. Sure. Yeah, it's when you get into the phonetics. Like, even if you hypothetically wrote out your language phonetically, those symbols still just mean sounds, and there's no way to translate that unless you have both the text and the sound. And that's that's what I thought. But then I learned that apparently... um, Assigning phonetic values to signs is what deciphering old languages even is. So an old la- a dead language has not been deciphered until we know what sounds went where. Yeah, how? How? Like, we don't have recordings of them? Where would we even start? In the Dead Sea Scrolls, like, when the guy, like, kicked his little jar into the cave and he heard a crash, he looks in, he just finds, like, a like an 8-track... <laughs> like a nice record player There's yeah like a dj from the this 200s. is this is a lib bible revox recording <laughs> i was trying to think of something more clever or something just clever in general but that's all i got we'll stick with that there's an interesting thing that i learned on the side which is that when you have enough texts of something you can of a language say mm-hmm. you can 
count all the individual characters and say that language has 30 different characters it has 80 different characters it has you know 74 you can find out how many different written characters there are hmm if there are 30 ish then it's an alphabetic language okay. if it's around 80 or more it's generally a syllabic language meaning that each each symbol represents a syllable as opposed to just an individual sound like like in english okay and languages like cuneiform or they're called logographic languages they have several hundred signs that they use although there are only really 120 common ones mm. so you can just count the different number of uh, symbols and determine what kind of language it would have been okay so it's it's operating then a little like we know what sounds humans can make now let's compare that to the symbols yeah sort of okay. so like you you know for instance that there are not several hundred sounds that humans can make mm-hmm. in terms of individual letters that there just aren't that many mm-hmm. so obviously if you have that many symbols each symbol has to represent more than just one letter it would have to represent a syllable or a word okay but that still doesn't answer the question how can we know right we just so how on earth do we get started and first there's a helpful trick to understand why you don't ever have to hear a language in order to know what it sounds like i'll give a quick example it's perfectly possible in english say to know that the th in the word 30 represents the th sound but if you speak it in say an irish accent it would sound like a t like it would sound like thirty. You could have never heard an Irish speaker in your life and still know that TH is a T in Irish. Mm-hmm. That's handy to know. Okay. So one of the first ways we can know how an ancient language was pronounced is that they tell us. In Latin in particular, which is fascinating. I mean, it's a bunch of lawyers and architects. Of course, they're going to record everything. So there's one guy named Quintilian. I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly because that's a pretty cool name. It's already a fantastic name. I'm super it's, into it. Yeah, he founded a school of rhetoric, so of course he was a nerd. And he, you know how, have you ever heard maybe a friend or a brother or a sister complain that we have redundant letters in the English alphabet? Like, why do we have a yes. K and a C? Yeah. We don't need them both. Get rid yeah. of And C then don't even start me on X. <sighs> don't learn Greek, man. Hey, hey but, wait, wait, so, wait. Quick, quick, quick side, quick side. What's your least favorite letter in the alphabet, in the English um, alphabet? <sighs> Good question, man. Probably K. K, okay. Yeah, I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way I have to write it out. It just, I don't like it. All right, fair enough. I'm not a big fan of W. You know what? I actually, I'm not I'm not too mad about W. Well, W's pretty cool. The, the, the sound of W, that's fine. It's the name and the design. Because hmm. it's the only letter in the English alphabet that isn't one syllable. And instead... It's three. Yeah, that's hmm, that needs to be changed. Some it, committee somewhere should take, it take should, you up on that. And also, it's the only letter that like doesn't have the sound that it makes in its name. But you're you're in good company with Quintilius because yes. I mean, oh, okay, Quintilius. great. You're, you're not dead, so it's not quite the greatest company. Or am but I happy? Holy. He actually complained. Oh, we shouldn't even have K. We should just get rid of it because the C's always like the K, so we don't need K. Yeah, that's something he actually he put he put that in writing. Not Heck in yeah, Quintilian. Exactly. But, yeah, he didn't like the K. He thought we should get rid of it. Um, And there's actually, I don't know why, 
But there is a first century grammarian named Nigidius Figulus. I know I'm pronouncing that wrong because I don't think that the U's change sound, but I'm not going to use proper pronunciation because it sounds weird. Sure. Nigidius Figulus. Mm-hmm. He tells us for whatever reason, I don't know why he cared about this, that the letter <laughs> V in Latin was pronounced with protruded lips, v. which means w. Means oh. that it was a w sound. Oh. And that's why we know. Oh, yeah. I think I've heard that, actually. So we could get rid of W. We we could. I mean, that's that's kind of what they did. A lot of, there's a bunch of weird stuff that Vs did. Sometimes it was a V. Sometimes it was a W. Sometimes it was a B. And it's it's very possible that it had different sounds based on different locations. I mean, an obvious example, in England, they don't pronounce their R's nearly as often or the same way as we do in America. Right even though it's the same letter. And there are also changes over time that are hard to pin down exactly, but we do, it's not as though we have no idea because we have mm. a pretty good idea because there are a bunch of lawyers and weirdos recording all this stuff. So we have that idea. So that's one way. They tell us, hey, this is how it's pronounced. Other times we know because of mistakes. Here's, a, here's an example. Okay. You would never mistake cow and cough. You would never accidentally write one instead of the other. You underestimate my stupidity. Well, I mean, I've also written down the entirely wrong sentence several times. But that would be not because you misheard the word. It would be because, you know, you're taking notes wrong. Okay. that's yeah, not fair. That wouldn't be a common mistake to make. Sure. Whereas there, there, and there are mistaken all the time. Mm-hmm. Which means that if someone, you know, bazillion years from now were to look back at English... Even having no idea how the words mm. are, let's, let's say they didn't know how the E-Y was pronounced for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. They could see that because it's mistaken for the E-I and the other there, mm-hmm. that it makes the A sound, at least in that instance. So they'd be able to reverse engineer what the language sounded like. You might be wondering, so how is this helpful? Do people like record all grammar mistakes in Latin? Well, there's actually a text in Latin called the Appendix Proby. Proby just sounds like a droid that Disney would make in Star Wars to sell more toys. No, it totally does. Except this one's way lamer because all it is, well, it's kind of like it's kind of like C-3PO, <laughs> so just correcting everyone's mistakes. It's literally like 250 words that people spell wrong. It's this, not that. It's wenulum, not wunulum. It's like all. Just a whole bunch of corrections of, hey, you guys are spelling this wrong. Here's how you actually get it right. Mm -hmm. And by looking at this, we can see, okay, these were maybe the same sound or similar sounds. And so we can narrow down our options. I hadn't thought about that because, like, like, that's so interesting to me. That's just kind of unlocked a, a kind of thought in my head. I'm just like, yeah, when you look at that one letter by itself, like, there's so many things that it could possibly be. But if you know for a fact that two different letters are common enough to Mm -hmm. be able to, like, swap out in similar situations and, like, accidentally be mistaken one for the other, you can start pairing these things together. Two more. Two more that I think are helpful. Yes. One, wordplay. Well, I guess this is the third mm. one. Three is wordplay. A quick example of that. Cicero, who's a cool dude, he wrote in the first century BC, 
and he relies for one anecdote on a wordplay between the v and the vowel u. So we know that those were pronounced similarly. Like if okay, in the poems in general, it, we can know that in Shakespeare's time, these two words were pronounced the same. Mm. And so even though they, they might sound completely different in today's English, they sounded the same, you know, 400 years ago. Yeah. So the the only question I have about that is with, with like Shakespeare, that makes sense because we were already super familiar with how English is, is spoken. And so if mm-hmm. something doesn't work consistently in that language, we can be like, oh, okay, we need to adjust when we're reading this. That makes sense to me. But when we're dealing with a language that we are trying to figure out how to pronounce at all, I mean, there's lots of different types of, like, different poetry and different things like that. Some rhyme, but some don't. Some use wordplay and Mm -hmm. others don't. And so, like, how are we able to distinguish in a language that we don't know, okay, why is, how is this wordplay? And, or is this just supposed to be evocative imagery? That brings us to the last one. What if we just have no idea what the language even sounded like in the first place? We don't have anyone telling us there aren't those common mistakes. It isn't what we're used to. And not being a language scholar, I don't know how often that is. But this one is, this would help you in a circumstance like that. Okay. Trying to figure Google out. Google it. What? <laughs> yeah, Google it. Almost. <laughs> Try to figure out. What language it turned into. Oh, that's really cool. Because you don't, it doesn't happen immediately overnight that the sounds change drastically. It happens very slowly. Mm-hmm. So by studying the changes in languages over time, you can do certain amounts of reverse engineering. That's so, really cool. Mm-hmm. Like language, so, like, I think language, I have, as we're going to see soon... I have started to get more and more of appreciation of how language changes and language isn't a concrete idea. It's not something that is statutory and that we have to follow language metamorphosizes and Mm -hmm. different, different words get different connotations and meanings as time goes on. And so like that's how a lot of languages were invented. And so reverse engineering, trying to work backwards into that, I think like that's why I got so excited just because it's just like that's a really cool idea. And I think even if you weren't able to even find out what that original language sounded like, I still think that would be a really cool progress to do. And one last thing, it doesn't always work perfectly. We don't always know precisely how things work. Perfect example in ancient Greek, there's a variation of Greek called Attic Greek, okay. in which there's a, there's a double tau, or T-T, as we would transcribe it in English. Okay. In every other dialect of Greek at the time, words that have the double tau in Attic Greek have a double sigma, or S-S, if you were to transliterate it into English. So hmm. we don't know why that is, because they don't tell us, and it's the only variation of ancient Greek that has that weird little quirk. But on a broader scale, like it is possible to start to put the pieces together. Like when you're working on a jigsaw puzzle, you know? You yeah. you notice that, oh, there's a flower over here, and I can complete this flower. Now I have like a block of five that I know all go together. 
And then, you know, it may be like hours before you get back to that little flower, but eventually you find where it goes and then you can fit it into a bigger piece of the puzzle. And as you're grouping and connecting all of these dots together, it starts to spiral into this place of, okay, now we can start putting together what this sounds like based off of all of the different pieces we have working together. I think that's really, really cool. Thank you, Ben, for answering a question that has always bugged me. You are quite welcome, Joel. This has been Dead Languages Reconceived.